And now, Canada Hoops, hosted by Maddie Ireland. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Canada Hoops. It's your boy, Matty. We're rolling along episode seven. We appreciate the support. Remember, you can find Canada Hoops podcast at Canada Hoops Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And download us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Joining me now on Canada Hoops, arguably Canada's best basketball insider, columnist, radio, TV, you name it, from Rogers Sportsnet, Michael Grange. Michael, how are you doing today, man? I'm great, Matty. That's a very kind introduction. There's a lot of, a lot of good, good guys out there, but uh, yeah, I've been, I've been doing it long, so I guess that helps. <laughs> well, and you're right. There are great people, but uh, you're you're probably my favorite. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna put that out there. So uh, I appreciate that. That's very kind. Yeah. So I'd like to ask everybody, Mike, uh, with the pandemic and the whole situation right now, uh, you know, how's everyone doing, you and your family? Well, I appreciate you asking that and, uh, you know, feeling very, very blessed, you know, and uh, because uh, we're, my wife and I were both still working and uh, my kids are 19 and 17 and they've, they've done well with school. They've kept up. They've done okay. Um, so I'd say the only two things that are really hurting for us are, you know, apart from everyone missing family and fun. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, my kids both are, are very active in their sports and they've had to kind of basically be shut down. So that's, that's really painful to kind of watch them deal with. But, but right. I mean, that's small potatoes. I mean, there's a lot of people who've really, uh, you know, I really had a hard time. So both health and economically. So I just, uh, I'm almost hesitant sometimes because uh, I, I've, I'm lucky is what I mean to say. And I hope you're very doing well to doing, doing well as well. Yeah, we're trying. I mean, um, we're fortunate too and very thankful, you know, we're both still working and whatnot and our, our daughter's healthy and um, yeah, everyone's struggle and uh, you know, how they deal with this right now is, you know, in my opinion, everyone's struggle matters, whether it's big or small. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear everyone on on your side is doing well. Yeah. I appreciate you asking. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, you're a busy man and, and you and I messaged about that before we uh, recorded and let's, uh, if we can, let's get into the NBA side sure. with regards to uh, Canadian hoopers. And um, maybe we'll start with the draft and there wasn't too much noise for, guys from Canada, but, you know, of note, uh, Kareem Maine signed a two-way contract with Orlando and then Nate Darling with Charlotte. Um, what are your thoughts on those two guys getting that opportunity? Well, I think I'm, I'm happy that they did. I think sometimes when you go undrafted, um, it can be a benefit, right? Because you're not, um, you know, you're not somebody's 57th pick overall. You're, you've kind of been able to assess the market and, and maybe sometimes you get to choose between two or three teams that are interested in maybe having you do a, you know, some kind of two-way deal or whatever it might be. So you can kind of 
what's the best situation. And you look at Nate Darling going to Charlotte, you have Jay Triano as, a, as a, you know, senior assistant coach there. You have um, uh, Nathaniel Mitchell as a skill development coach there. And he would have, I'm sure, worked with Nate in the summers through Canada basketball. So there's probably a level of confidence and comfort both ways there. Um, and then with Karim Mane, I mean, you know, I think uh, he's going to be a really interesting player to watch. It's not too often. I wouldn't say he was like unknown or but it's not very often that a guy comes from where he, he was on the, you know, fairly off the radar and to get onto draft boards at all is pretty impressive without a college season, without going and playing at least one year of D1. And it sort of seems like had he gone D1, you know, he would have, you know, he would have been a, a guy on people's radars right away. So I bet you there's probably a little bit of competition there for, for his, you know, for him as a two way. And he's to me like a perfect candidate, right? Like he's 20, he's very raw. Uh, and I say all this and not having the, had the honor to watch him play yet, right. but uh, you know, just his resume is pretty thin in terms of basketball experience, but it's clearly got athletic tools. It sounds like he's a really hungry kid. And those are, that's a great combination. If I'm an NBA team, you know, I'm looking for a guy like that, right? Like, he, he, you know, the reason he's not in the first, certainly in the second round, but probably in the first round is purely experience and exposure. Um, those are the easiest things to gain. Right. But six, seven with, you know, a seven foot wingspan and, you know, and then it seems like the most significant thing is just a really hungry, hungry kid. That's a great combination. I'd invest in that every day. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to see how they they pan out. I think. Um, I think Nate has a good shot to um, make some noise, and um, you know, he just he seems like a winner. You know, he was on that U19 team. Um, he just he's confident, and uh, I mean, every team can take a shooter for sure, right? Yeah, I used to play. Uh, I played against his dad, Jason Darling. Actually, okay. uh, he was. Um, he came from a little town in New Brunswick called Rosse, which okay. uh, my family lived in for a little while. And so we had some friends in common and played a little bit of pickup. And then when he played at St. Mary's, I was playing at Mount A. So I played against him a few times there. And okay, um, so I've always watched, followed Nate. And, you know, I think the thing that sticks out there, again, it goes to the hunger, the ambition, you know, left yeah. home. This wasn't a Toronto kid who'd been kind of going through the AU circuit and, you know, he came from from uh, you know outside no outside Halifax, a yeah. big jump to Dematha. You know, uh, teammates with um, who's the kid at Minnesota? Markel Fultz. Mark uh, Fultz. Sorry, at Orlando. Yeah. So, you know, he played against all those guys. So, so he's clearly a guy who's been tested, and I really like what he did. Uh, you know, changing schools, right? Going down a conference, but just dominating. You know, and he had a run there that is, you know, that gets people, that gets people's attention. It's just hard to dominate games, game after game at any level. doesn't matter. Right. And, it, and, you know, I think he's, you know, again, that kind of, it takes some IQ, it takes some skill, it takes some athletic ability. And uh, again, you know, he slots as a specialist, right. And you just look at the Miami Heat, right. um, you know, they have a, they have a couple of guys as, who took them to the NBA finals because they were able to immediately, uh, step in and fill a role and spread a floor for a team. So, um, you know, again, I think, uh, I think he's in a good situation. Agreed. Uh, 
you know, it's going to be an interesting year for those guys. Um, maybe we'll jump into free agency, Mike, because that was really quick after the draft. And I know you were putting up crazy week. It was a crazy week. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was interested specifically because I wanted to see what happened with some Canadian guys to maybe, um, what kind of deals they would get into in terms of length. And then also which team, you know, looking forward to next summer, if we can get the qualifying tournament off the ground. So, um, obviously Tristan Thompson going to Boston. Um, I know Boston has been really high on Tristan, uh, for years, just kind of competing against them. What are your thoughts on, on his deal there and just getting out of Cleveland and going to a team that, um, is going to value him to contribute and then um, in that environment and hopefully or possibly win. I'm happy for Tristan. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's, I think he's been a great soldier, you know, like he was on some really bad teams in Cleveland and it never seemed to affect his effort or his attitude. And and what you saw was what you got with Tristan. And then all of a sudden the team around him got better and he was just sort of the same player. Like he obviously improved and got smarter and, Right. And, uh, you know, was able to fine tune what he did, but, but he understood, you know, it's always been my favorite thing about Tristan. I've known him since he was in grade 10 or 11. Okay. He's just always known, you know, and when he was coming up, like he wasn't, he was going to be like a, a ball handling three, like he was going to face the basket. And, um, you know, that clearly wasn't where his game was going to, where, where he was going to reach the NBA and be most effective. And he just said, okay. And he put his heart, he's put his hard hat on and he keeps working on his game. And he keeps, you know, changing what hand he shoots free throws with or whatever it might be, trying to find an edge. But, you know, his competitiveness and effort play after play is a rare thing. And he's tireless and it worked in a championship contest text. And I think it's going to make Dane, Boston a really dangerous team. I mean, uh, you know, they, they, the way they play, they don't need, uh, five man to dominate the ball and right. you know, have a lot of touches. And, but you know, what he can do in as part of that tandem, uh, with Weiss is, uh, is it Weiss? Sorry, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Tice there, Daniel Tice. Tice, Tice yeah, yeah, Daniel Tice. Yeah. I apologize. The, no. um, uh, you know, that, like I liked him when I Raptors played them. I thought he's, I think he's really good. Right. And so him and Tristan are now a very active you pair at the five. They can, you know, the 48 minutes of busyness, basically. I think that's going to give teams problems. And, um, and Tristan, if you look at Tristan's numbers before he got hurt, uh, he, he was on his way to a really good season and right. um, he was very hungry. And I think he's, he's ready to win again. Yeah. I'm happy for him too. And I, I, I hope it kind of sets him up for an opportunity to, maybe sweep up for Canada next summer. Boston could potentially go deep um, in the season and obviously the playoffs. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Um, I thought Kelly Olenek opting in was kind of a no-brainer for Kelly. I mean, um, you know, obviously contract-wise and then obviously uh, that situation in Miami. And I've been a big Kelly fan. Like a lot of people that are following Canadian basketball and and other people I've talked to on the podcast as well, um, you know, I wonder what, what we would expect from Kelly this year, just in that year. Uh, I, I think he can contribute more. And I think I talked to Leo about it on the episode with Leo and he just, I feel like he needs a little more minutes, but um, I mean, yeah, he's, what, he's what in a little bit of a tough situation. You got, 
uh, Bam Adebayo, who's kind of emerging as, you know, he's looks like he's headed to be a top 10 player in the league. Right. Perfect style for the time, perfect style for that team. And he's really cut into Kelly's minutes. Right. And it's not like Kelly can't play. I mean, you saw in the playoffs when Bam was out, he, Kelly put up two back-to-back. Well, one game was one of the best players, one of the best games, you know, as good a game as you can play. I mean, I think it was the best game anyone's ever had off the bench in, as a, in a, in a finals game or something like yeah. that after yeah. Bam went. Yeah. And, um, you know, followed it up with another strong game. So he can clearly play. The Heat know that. Right. But there's a number crunch, right? And so he's really valuable to them if somebody gets hurt. If someone's in foul trouble, if they need some kind of lineup option, you know, but he doesn't right now fit into their top six or seven or eight guys. Right. And that's what a championship team looks like. I mean, you know, how do you like ask Norm Powell, right? Like you think Norm Powell wasn't ready to play the way he did this season, last season? Well, no. Yes, he was. Right. But Danny Green was there and Kawhi Leonard was there. And all of a sudden there wasn't that moment, those minutes for Norm Powell. So. Right. If you're a championship team, you absolutely have guys like Kelly Olenek on your bench because you have really, really, really good guys ahead of them, and someone's got to sacrifice. And uh, I think that's the situation Kelly's been in. And then with the finances and all that, it just was not in the cards for him to go to free agency. Right. So uh, you can just hope he gets a nice, a little more steady run, and he can hit the hit the market next summer, and and uh, you know will likely be his last chance at a multi year deal. And he can kind of uh, position himself well. Yeah, and the one thing with Kelly that really stands out is he is always ready, always prepared, whatever role is going to get thrown his way by the coach. And um, so I just that's, that sets him up to, you know, to contribute. So it's just good to see on his part. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, Chris Boucher was uh, a good ad for the Raptors considering you know, Marcus all Serge Ibaka left. And then now they're, you know, I think you, you touched on it on Twitter today, actually now with, um, I think they're going to really push him to have an increased role. And then, and then you're just straight up happy for the guy. I mean, he's, he's come from the bottom and, uh, his story is incredible to get that two year deal. And, uh, I mean, I think anybody that follows him and Canadian basketball would just, you know, love to give him a big high five. Um, do you think he's going to have quite a bit of a role this year with, with Toronto? He's definitely going to get a crack at it. You know, there are minutes there to be had, and um, he's going to have to compete. You know, I think Aaron Baines, he's a little bit more known of co- known quantity in terms of, you know, he's really proven. You know, people forget Aaron Baines is 34. He's probably in his 12th or 13th year pro if you count Europe. Well, of course, right. you count Europe. Right. And, um you know, so so he's you know what you're going to get from him. You know the minutes he's going to offer you, but there's probably about eighteen or twenty minutes available uh, on a regular basis. That you know that it's you know there's going to be some matchup driven stuff with him and Alex Lynn. Alex Lynn a much bigger body, right? But you know, short of that, you've got a team that's willing to play small, and you've got you know they've invested a good chunk of money in Chris. And we've all seen, um, you know, when he he's not scared and he can really affect games. And I think this is now his third year, you know, playing for Nick Nurse. Right. I think he's going to have, I hope at this point, a really good grasp of what needs to happen defensively and all the kind of nuances, right? Like there's just so many things that happen and the speed of the decisions you need to make in an NBA game. I remember talking to John Malalela. 
during the Raptors playoff run. Right. And he had coached Chris, you know, that was the year he won the D league MVP and defensive player of the year. And he's on the roster, but he, you know, I don't think he even saw a minute in the playoffs and a masking jamma, you know, so what's the difference between a guy like Chris, this is two years ago. And for example, Marcus all right. Like, I mean, someone who's, you know, where does it show up? And he just said, it's, it's this, the, the recognition and the speed and the fluidity for, you know, making in particular on defense, the, 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 how fast the adjustments come and how quick you need to grasp and anticipate them and execute them. And, you know, you can't wait for a coach to be telling you, you can't wait for your teammates. You just got to be on it. And, and, and the level of defense they start playing, you know, in deep playoff series is is they're literally almost having like a different coverage for every guy on every, you know, it's not just they have a different coverage. They have a different coverage for whoever has the ball on whatever right. part of the floor the ball is. Right. So it's just, there's a level of detail that, you know, and, and in this anecdote, Jan was saying like a guy like Chris, he just doesn't, he can't, it's not, not Chris in particular, but a, a younger player just doesn't hasn't had enough reps and you know and if you're a superstar you can kind of overcome that with you know raw ability sometimes but right but so my point being is is chris has now had three years of this and you know if i think he, if he can really show and execute and and deliver at a high level on those kind of responsibilities then all the stuff he does because of his athletic ability is you know his ability to run the floor and finish and compete for every rebound you know that'll that'll you know, that'll get a chance to shine. So, um, and if it happens, it'd be amazing because like your point is, I mean, this guy was literally riding the bus overnight in Montreal because he didn't have a place to go right? between shifts, you know, at St. Hubert and took up the game, I think about 18 years old. People talk about Pascal Siakam. Well, I think Chris was even later taking up right. the game. And, um, you know, and, and he's, he's a good dude, man. And he's, he's uh, you want a guy like that to ski. He obviously has, I think he's now made, seven or eight million dollars as a pro that's pretty good right but, um you know if he can really shine and put up some numbers on extended minutes you know this time next year he could be doubling or tripling that and uh you know like you'd like to see the game treat people like that well yeah absolutely like i'm rooting for him and i'm excited to see what the season brings for uh, for chris mike um just one last thing i guess that affects you in terms of the nba this season I'm curious about the logistics for you yeah. in the media and how that, that looks for you all um, with Toronto based out of Tampa Bay this year. Um, I mean, I, I got to imagine that's going to be difficult. What what does it actually, that you know of, looks like so far for you? Uh, well, it's going to be a lot of this. Right. <laughs> um, you know, the I work for Rogers Sportsnet, for Sportsnet, which is owned by Rogers, and they right. they just have a company-wide ban, wide ban on travel and traveling. So, you know, like you can, uh, you know, you ask, what about this? Can we do it? And it was the same around the bubble. No, we're not going to do that. We're not putting our employees in that situation. And right. and similarly now. So, um, you know, and I think on the other side of that, you go all the way to Florida and the NBA is so concerned about not exposing their players to or any of their staff to uh, outside to risk to like people who aren't being tested, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, that you could go out, you end up all the way down there and you're kind of on a zoom call anyway, because I think, you know, what we're going to come to appreciate is 
they're trying to thread the needle. You know, this is not a bubble. You have 30 teams and 30 markets, right. you know, large pools of young men who they're being expected to act pretty disciplined in terms of how they keep their social circle. Right. And, uh, you know, at a time when COVID is setting records every day. So I yeah. think, you know, if the last thing they would want <laughs> is some reporter to show up and, and give somebody the cooties, you know what I mean? I mean right. Just, uh, so I think it's going to be in Toronto. It's going to be a lot of Zoom calls. And I think it's going to be a challenge to, you know, the challenge is going to be try and get some additional extra um, stuff that, you know, you kind of get by being around all the time and right. bumping into people and pulling someone aside. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult at the best of times. And obviously now it's going to be even harder. Yeah. I mean, I wish you guys all the best. And I mean, obviously everyone wants to stay safe. So, I think it'll be interesting to see sort of, I guess what I'm trying to say nightly what the broadcast might look like. And Yeah. I mean, I think the broadcast will look sort of what it looked like in the playoffs. I'm not sure what, what, you know, Matt and, and Jack Armstrong are going to be doing in terms of, are they going to be courtside or, excuse right. me, or, um, pardon me, are they going to be courtside or, or doing it off a moderator, which they did in, in the playoffs. That's right. yet to be determined, but you know, I think for Sportsnet, we'll be in the studio, you know, watching the game on a monitor and kind of assessing from there, and then kind of take advantage of whatever access we do get, and then trying to be creative in other ways. Okay, well, let's get into your story, Mike, and your journey, and how um, you know, obviously, you've had a passion for the game, um, and you've and you turned it into a, a good uh, media career. What? Um, you know, when you started playing basketball, did you play other sports as well? And then, um, you know, what really made basketball grab you? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. I mean, I played, uh, you know, I play. I grew up in in mostly in Toronto, and but you know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and you know, sports wasn't outside of hockey, sports, and I guess baseball, maybe in the summers, like sports wasn't as organized as it is now for everybody at all ages. And so right. I'm a really athletic kid who loved playing everything, but, um, you know, I didn't really get a chance to play anything organized till high school, mostly, you know, like even in, even in middle school, there wasn't too much. I'm a little bit of soccer growing up and, and, uh, you know, I got a little bit into basketball, you know, in grade seven and eight, just through a, you know, a church I went to and stuff. And my brother was in high school at that time. So he was kind of into basketball. But, uh, but when I got to high school, my high school, uh, Humberside Collegiate, <laughs> West okay. Toronto, cool. um, you know, they had a really good basketball program and they had great gym teachers and they had a couple of really good coaches and okay. a couple of grades ahead of me, they had some really good players. And, um, and, you know, like, it's funny, like all the kids I ended up, you know, playing with were all sort of similar to me. My parents are from Ireland, all kind of first generation guys. Right. Nobody was driving anyone to hockey ranks or anything like that. And, and here was a sport everyone could play. And, and I'll, honestly, Matt, I'll tell you that the, the biggest differentiator for me in terms of basketball was, uh, it's kind of a funny story, but it had the older high schools in Toronto, they often have a pool, like it's a kind of underground, you know, my high school is like a hundred something years old, but they, they had a pool right. dug in the basement. Right. So there was a staff position for a lifeguard who ran swimming programs as part of the phys ed programs. This guy's name was Jerry McGraw. 
and he's uh, he's a legend. Okay. And um, when I started in high school, Jerry was not, uh, he was maybe 10 years older than me. So he's in his mid twenties probably. And he was a really good athlete and loved basketball. And the funny story was at the time, literally, I think when I started in grade nine, he had broke up with his girlfriend and he was living in a van in the parking lot of the high school. And wow. he had a, like an office in the pool. That's not a tragic story. I think it was a nice van. Right. He had an office. It's kind of a bachelor dream, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, but he, you know, he had, he had access to the gym. He had access to a change room and a locker room and his own little office. So really that was just his bed. And he, and it was free, right? Cause he lived in his van and the gym teachers were all cool with it. And so his deal was he loved to play. And so his deal was like in the mornings, he, you come knock on his, on his van in the morning, he'd get up and he'd, uh, he'd open the gym for you. And similarly, he'd say after school, before the season started and after the season started and, and play with us. And so we probably had about a five-year cohort. So kids who were a couple of grades ahead of me and a couple of grades behind me. Uh, I would say we probably had maybe somewhere between 12 and 15 CIS players wow. come out of that school. And it wasn't like we were like a powerhouse. Like we were, we were good. We always made the playoffs. We typically lose to Oakwood or Eastern or Jarvis. Those are the big, you know, those were the, the powers, the, the powers yeah. the city anyway. But, but we were very competitive. Like my high school team was top 10 in Ontario and, and all of that. And, but really, uh, we had, I think one guy, a guy named Mike Sherwood, who, and who was an all-star at York and a guy named Jerry Nolfi was on those really, really good Waterloo teams way back. Okay. Um, and another guy, Ray Tone, who went to, or Glenn Tone, who, uh, who was on the national championship team with Brock, but off the bench, you know, those are probably the three best. And then after that, everyone was kind of like me, like a, Pretty good, hard worker, you know, good, good enough to play in the CIS. Not really, nobody, you know, we weren't making impacts on great teams or anything. Right. And but it was all because, my point is, we had a guy who would give us as much gym time as we could possibly use or want. And uh, we had a core of people who would just take advantage of that. And, you know, that's, uh, I feel so lucky. I didn't have anything in terms of the organizational structure guys have today and, you know, all the skill coaches and all this kind of stuff. I would have ate it all up. Yeah. But to be able to play and play and play and play and play was was amazing. So, and then that and so what got me into the game was that just just you know I was a sports hungry kid and here I am, fifteen years old, never really had a chance to play a sport because there wasn't all that. I didn't play hockey and there wasn't all much else going on. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, you had this sport you play twenty four seven anywhere there's a gym, and uh, unfortunately at my school it was almost open twenty four seven. It felt like and. And, uh, you know, I, I could never get enough. Well, that's cool. And I think that's a story I think a lot of people can relate to where they just, they get that opportunity and they get that access and then they just, they take it and run and, you know, the passion just grows. Uh, so who did you, who did you kind of idolize as a, you're starting to play basketball? Who's your, who's your favorite player? And you're trying to pattern your game after there, Mike? I, I would say, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, but, but I mean, like my, Growing up era was Sixers, Celtics, Celtics, oh, Lakers. Right. Uh, and then, you know, as I got a little older, it was, you know, obviously Michael and all that. But but I, I would have to say, like, you know, Larry Bird, you know, like it's yeah. kind of cliche for a white guy, right? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But he was, you know, it was hard to ignore him. He was awesome. And, uh, 
And, uh, you know, you look back at the hair now, but at the time his hair seemed cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I would, yeah, him for sure. And, 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 and uh, it was fun. It was fun. It was, it was fun to watch those teams and, and, you know, uh, but it was weird just how much basketball there is available today. Like I talked to my son and, yeah. you know, he's, he's a hockey guy, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but that's, that's where he gravitated to. Right. But he is, he, he can name every player in the league. You know, he's, you know, it's, it's just so you can swim in it, you know, it's amazing. Right. But uh, yeah, it was fun. And then um, you head off to Mount Allison there in New yeah. Brunswick. Talk about your time there. What are your best memories? Uh, going oh, it, was, to school? It, was a, it was a great, great experience. I mean, the downside, these are the downside. The downside, it was Mount A is like, a, they're actually in the college league now. Okay. Um, they were, it's a, kind of a small liberal arts sort of nerdy smart guy school. Right. And uh, so, which is, you know, translation, it was not a great, great sports school. They had a few good, they had good, good they had some good football years, right. a pretty good football program. The basketball program had some ups and then some downs. And uh, so, but the conference was unbelievable. Uh, back then, uh, you know, Acadia had Dave Knock Brown. Steve Kinchowski was uh, sort of a, his prime almost at X. Right. Uh, UPEI coached by Scott Morrison, the Boston Celtics assistant coach, his dad. Yeah. Uh, George Morrison was, was the head coach there. Um, you know, Dalhousie was really good at times. Uh, UCCB came on. You know, it was a, and what the one thing that was interesting about their conference is they had a, a rule and a tradition of having Americans come up. So they would have, a three import rule. So you were allowed mm-hmm. to have three Americans on your team. And, and there's a lot of like conjecture as to how much, why would an American come up here at 25 years old and play for St. of X? What was right. it for them kind of thing? Right. But, uh, but man, they, they, the result was just some incredible basketball and, uh, um, you know, Acadia, one of the years I was there, they won the national championship. They had, you know, five Nova Scotia starters, which was amazing. And um, just a real tradition of basketball, especially in Nova Scotia, that right. that influenced that whole conference. So uh, it's a long way of saying, you know, we got our ass kicked by some great teams <laughs> and some good players. But it was a lot of fun and a lot of bus rides in the snow. Right. Not even bus rides, van rides. Like, oh, my God. Just And uh, my first year in New Brunswick, it snowed 500 centimeters Oh, wow. uh, that year. And so, and it felt like, you know, and we would get on these, in these big long vans and, you know, the, I don't know if people remember that, that, uh, bus strategy in New Brunswick, uh, right. boys, and Red, they call them, you know, uh, I think it was You're from Camelton, I believe, right? Camelton. Yeah. I, yeah. I had a few, a couple of guys on my team from Camelton and, you know, you know, uh, the tragedy. And, but I mean, when I, I remember that happened, that hit me so deeply right in my heart because, uh, sure. I was riding on those same buses, those same roads, the same vans, sorry, those same roads. And it felt like every road trip, you know, we'd leave, you know, we'd meet up at the gym at, you know, noon on a Friday to go play, you know, Acadia St. Mary's or something. And, uh, it'd be snowing. Right. And we'd be on the highway all the way to, you know, Wolfville snow the entire way. We'd play the game, get on the bus start, you know, make our way to Halifax or whatever, or our hotel snowing, get up in the morning, snowing, mm-hmm. play the game, snow, drive back, snow. And it was just like, it was unbelievable. It's happened to every road trip. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, there were some scary times on those vans for sure, but obviously some great times, you know, just packed in and 
all the fun things that happens with a bunch of kids on a bus or on a van. Yeah. I mean, those memories are kind of what make you, you know, and, uh, that's exciting. Um, you know, when, when you finish school there, Mike, and then it's kind of a natural move to you to, you know, you go into media and journalism and you start covering basketball and you're, you know, you're covering, you're at the Globe and Mail in 95, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a bit of a time gap there. I finished school, didn't know what I was going to do. I, and I worked for social services for the city of Toronto oh, cool. for about four years. Worked as a bartender for a year and then, then got to work for the city. I mean, there was a bad recession on. There wasn't a lot of work, but right. the welfare department was hiring. Right. And, uh, you know, and did that. And I, it, it took me a long time to get up the nerve to get into journalism, to try it as a career. Okay. And, um, you know, but I started after, so about, I had about a four-year gap, went and did a master's program at Western and got pretty lucky out of that. I got hired at the Globe on a bunch of contracts. Okay. And and really, the story of me getting into basketball at the time, because I was doing news and business and other stuff, was uh, the guy, Rob McLeod, who recently retired, who was kind of covering the Raptors. I mean, they were brand new, right? Like, I think one of my first, I mean, my second summer at the Globe, I, I remember watching the very first game at Skydome, then Skydome. Right. From the, on a Sunday afternoon, I was working at the Globe on a shift and kind of watching the game out of the corner of my eye. And uh, um, but anyway, the guy who was covering the team, about two three years later, had a bad accident. He got hit by a streetcar on his bike, and uh, he's fine. He lived. But, uh, but he was off work for about a year. Okay. And you know, and they said, "Well, can you do this? Because uh, we know you play basketball." And I'm like, "Sure, okay." But it, so it wasn't like this lifelong ambition, and, and it just sort of. You know, I was kind of by default almost, but at the same time, it was a perfect fit for me, and and I just ran with it. Like it was, uh, it was crazy. It was right around Isaiah Thomas was still there. I remember my first season doing this. It was the season he pulled the plug and left. Right, and uh, I was just it was just wild, wild, wild times in terms of journalism. Just a crazy bunch of people around that team, but uh, but uh, it was it was great learning and a lot of fun. So, you know, when you start covering them and then, you know, you're a basketball guy to begin with, you know, and you're in it 25 years, you know, give or take, could you ever have imagined, you know, like the impact the Raptors would have on, on basketball in the country and then just the growth of the game? I mean, I know it's, it's a talked about. Honestly, Matty, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I. Uh, That's cool. I absolutely thought that this was where it would somehow go. You know, I, I just, it just seemed kind of obvious to me. I remember Richard Petty who used to run MLSE right. and uh, I would, I would be on a, on, I was on some panels and things with him. And, and, and I would say, look, you know, like as it relates to MLSE at the time, you know, a lot of people were like, well, why is MLSE even investing in basketball? What's, you know, why should, you know, why is the best player on the Raptors making twice as much as the best player on the Leafs kind of thing? Right. And, and I would say, listen, right now the Leafs are a huge slice in, in a pretty small pie, which is hockey and the NHL. The Raptors right now are a pretty small slice in a pie that is big and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And uh, eventually, you know, and I think we're getting almost close the uh, you know even the Raptors as like a relatively small space in the basketball universe is going to dwarf uh, you know that massive presence the Leafs uh, have had and hockey has had I think broadly 
I think basketball is going to have the same effect. I think it's maybe a little staggered across the country because not every city has an NBA team, but right. um, you know, you just look at the pop culture effect of the game. And I think that combined with um, the changing nature of cities in terms of demographics and immigration and right. the traditions that they have or don't have when, when people come to Canada from other places, right. you know, they, it used to be hockey was the way you had to, it was, it was the fastest way to integrate yourself. And it's still, there's still some truth to that maybe. Right. But now, you know, you can, you can just catch, you know, you can be a Raptors fan and you're, you're good. <laughs> you're right. covered. Right. And you might've been a Raptors fan from whatever place you came, or a basketball fan from whatever place you, you and your family came from originally. So, right. so I think, uh, I'd say, so yeah, I would answer yes to that question. I think the other thing that's, been a little slower, but it seems to be coming on a lot. Is just that kind of organizational infrastructure at the grassroots of the game right. that was completely absent when I was growing up. Like it just barely didn't exist. Maybe in a few communities they had a you know, house league or a Y league or whatever. Not really in the city in any meaningful way. Imagine that city of Toronto. Like there was not like a thriving youth basketball league. Right. Um, and uh, that's not all that long ago. I'm not that old. Um, but that's really changed, right? Like, and, and, and if anything now, what's missing is uh, the access to the gyms, the ability to, to service all these kids who want to play. I mean, that's what I had in, in, in bunches, right? right? So so I think, you know, and I always say people ask me, um, you know, it's important I make this point. Like people say, I have done 100, maybe 1,000, probably 100. Uh, where people ask this, you know, why did the game grow? What's, you know, was it Vince Carter? Was it Steve Nash? Was it the Raptors? The answer is yes, kind of to all of that. But the number one factor (laughs) that has caused basketball to grow the way it has is, you know, I can look at the names of the kids in the junior national and provincial programs and, you know, the U16 programs, whatever. And I tell you, I can, I know the dad or the mom either personally or I've heard of or played against, right. you know, almost everyone. And all that's happened in basketball more than any other factor is a bunch of parents like me grew up without like wanting more and said, okay, we're going to invest in our kids and we're going to start a league. Or we're going to start a program or we're going to coach. Right. We're going to give the opportunity that wasn't available to us. And that's been repeated over and over again. And that's, that's the same story in hockey. That's the same story in baseball. It's the same story in everything is it's, 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 you know, it's parents giving back. And I think that's was the element that wasn't quite in place in basketball, you know, 30 years ago and it's there and it's never going back. Mike, those are great points. And uh, you hit home on one. I mean, Ro- I mean Rowan Barrett is like, right. that's, he's the prime example. Right. Like, I mean, you know, or, or it's, it's, you know, but Corey Joseph, I played his, against his dad, David Joseph. Right. Uh, you know, um, you know, right now the captain of Harvard, I played against his dad. Um, you, you know, like he just, I'm just trying to think of, a, of an example, you know, Andrew Wiggins, right. right? His mom and dad. Like it's just, there's just right. one after another after another. Yeah. It's, uh, I feel like, I could say, yeah, I, I kind of ex- expected the growth too, just kind of being so immersed in the game and just, um, you know, you could kind of see, like, as an example, you talk about, um, you know, hockey being dominant. Like, even myself, my dad was a, 
a hockey guy, but he raises uh, my brother and I on his own. And, you know, it just wasn't an option for us to play. It was just kind of not going to happen. And I initially started playing soccer and then I, I picked up hoops and then it was just, I love the game. And my dad was there watching and then just learned to love the game too. And he was excited to learn kind of a new sport and um, supported me all the time with that. And I think you go across 30 years of that for a lot of other kids. And then, like you said, the demographics and hockey is kind of priced itself out of a lot yeah, of them. Yeah, it's a big issue. It's yeah, big you know, issue. so, um, you know, just to kind of wrap up a little bit of your story um, before we talk some Canada basketball, like, you know, your journey and, and your your time through the game across Canada and you, you're, in my opinion, a big staple of the Canadian basketball community. Do you ever get a chance to kind of just sit back and say, yeah, man, this is, the ride's still going for you, Mike, but, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Seen so you've seen so much and that was why i was excited to have you on because you know it's just been a great ride for you and you know we got lots more to go for you you know you get a chance to say man what a, what a, a great way this is going <laughs> um yeah i mean it's it's been uh it's interesting to put it but it's funny like um for years you know like you would kind of uh knock your brains out you know to try and do a great job and uh, try and win the argument about what, how much coverage it needed and why we should invest more in it. This was both at the newspaper level initially, even at Sportsnet. Right. And, um, cause I didn't, I wasn't brought over to be part of the broadcast. It just sort of kind of morphed into things. Right. You know, my basketball expertise was part of it, but it was, it was, you know, like it, it wasn't deemed, you know, important enough to just dedicate me to it entirely. And then all of a sudden, you know, honestly, one thing, the Raptors winning changed changed a lot. Right. And as they got better and better, you know, the Kyle Lowry effect, um, all of a sudden, you know, I really flipped in about 2016 when they went to the conference finals. And, right. Uh, the intensity of the interest was just heightening. Like it was, it was amazing. And you could almost gauge, you know, I used to get recognized by guys who were clearly basketball fans. Right. <laughs> right? Like it was, right. I could kind of guess who was going to give me a what's up based on what their shirt was or the hat or whatever. Right. And then, you know, and then it got a little more widespread, a little more widespread. But by about 2016, like, like it was like people's moms out grocery shopping and stuff. were like, Hey, you're the after guy. Cool. You know, like you could really tell. And, um, and so that's been fun, right. Is, is all of a sudden right. um, you're kind of doing the same thing. You're writing the same stuff. You're well, hopefully not the exact same stuff, but you're kind of putting the same hours in or time in, but, but all of a sudden everyone notices and, it, and it's been fun. And that's the one thing I would say for sure is, is it's been exciting. Like when they won in 2018, 19, 19. <laughs> <lost> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, people say, well, it must've been very special for me. Uh, for me personally, it was exhausting. Like I, I, I know if you talk to any of the other guys who covered that whole thing, like by the end of it, you were numb. Like it was just so right. uh, draining. But um, but to experience it through other people, you know, and just how much they wanted to talk about it, and where they were, and how who they watched it with, and right, um, you know, it was it never gets old, you know, and, uh, and so yeah, it's like it, it was from that point of view, it's been pretty cool. Awesome, I love it. Um, well, let's talk some Canada basketball. Uh, I know you cover a lot of national team stuff, and you've the guys that are 
you know, at the NBA level that have played for Canada or currently playing, you know, these guys, uh, quite a bit, um, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts on where the program is at in terms of obviously the talent level has been. Yeah. Just, just well snaked, it. snaked it, you know, and, yeah. uh, I hate to be, you know, there's, there's other things I'd rather pat myself on the back for, but when they didn't qualify in 2015, I said, this is a disaster. Like this right. is, right. you know, for a whole bunch of reasons. But even at that time they were, you know, they were pointing towards 2020 as being the real year when they, they, this would be, everything would come into focus for them. Right. And we've all seen the fallout of 2015 and obviously you couldn't have predicted the pandemic, right. but um, you know, just the fact that they were, kind of in the situation they were having to go to Victoria and maybe, maybe not qualify for the Olympics. Right. Um, it's just, uh, it's just the kind of a compilation of, of, of pieces of bad luck and it's really held the program back. And, um, you know, and, uh, I don't know what to say. Like it's, it's, you know, I, I don't think it's, it can't possibly be like this forever. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but I mean, it, it, you know, it's something's got to give and, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and they got to catch a break. Do you, do you get a sense of a more of a, more of a complete buy-in from more guys right now? Yeah, I think, I think the buy-in is there. I mean, I think it's misinterpreted, um, you know, how committed players are or not, or, or are, are not committed. Um, you know, 2000, you know, for the worlds in China, right. you know, I was as frustrated as everybody else. And I think the point I kind of came to was, you know, guys are going to have to sacrifice, right? Cause, cause I think in the day, like it's never been easy to play internationally, right. but I think there was a time you know, when you look at the Donahue teams and Jay Triano was on and, and, you know, they were good. They were top six, seven in the world for about 10 years. Right. Um, they, you know, the national team was almost the peak for them. Right. Like they weren't, you know, one or two had sniffs in the NBA, but and one or two had, had, you know, big careers in Europe. But for the most part, the national team was their everything. And, and if anything, the national team was giving more to them than they could ever get from the national team in a way. So, um, and so what's happened in the era we're in now is if you're an NBA player, the national team can't really do anything for you professionally in terms of your own uh, growth as, right. a, as a business person. Right. You want to put it back crassly, right? If anything, it's kind of like a, it's a risk. You know, I think if you're playing... And so I think it, a couple of different things have to happen. But one for sure is at one of these um, summers, you know, be it the Worlds or the Olympics, somebody's just going to have, or a couple of guys are just going to have to go, you know, this isn't perfect for me. I just, I mean, I'm about to have a baby or I'm supposed to get married or all these legitimate reasons. I'm just right. going to put that on hold. Right. You know, and like, I'm not saying anyone should play without a contract or play as a free agent or anything like that, but, right. but that's what it's going to take. And it doesn't make you a bad person if you don't want to, you know, take six weeks out of your summer right. um, and, and travel halfway around the world. But it's going to take somebody saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because I want to do it. And um, so that's one side of it. 
I think there is more buy-in in the sense that, especially with younger guys, less established pros, the Canada basketball is doing more for them off the floor, like in terms of they've, they've got a dedicated workout staff, dedicated gym time. Um, you know, I think for guys, that doesn't really matter if you're Shea Gilgis-Alexander necessarily, like, right. you know, like he's, he can afford whatever trainer he needs. Right. But if you're, you know, a guy who's not at that level, or even if you're Shea and you want to have be able to train while being at home, right. you know, the fact that they create those opportunities, I think that builds some loyalty. They provide therapy for the guys. They provide that kind of connection. Right. And, um, you know, so I, I think there's a pretty good feeling around the program. Um, when the national team does play and travel, they do it at a pretty high level. Like they don't, you know, they're, they're staying at a nice hotel downtown. Food is provided for them. It's not quite NBA five-star, but right. it's four-star. You know, right. they, they don't fly on a charter, but they fly first class. Right. right. So like, I think the program's trying to do the best they can. And, um, and I, for example, had, the pandemic not struck, they would have had a great team in, uh, in Victoria and right. would it have been enough. It was a crapshoot, right. To win that, to win that tournament, but they would have had a, a good team there to do it. Right. And, um, and then obviously I think the Olympics, they would have been pretty well represented. Yeah. It's, um, it'll be interesting to see what, if we can get the tournament going, I've said that a lot pretty much in every episode, uh, you know, next summer, see what the, the world's like, uh, with the pandemic, but, you know, the opportunity to host at home, they, they, they wanted that. And, um, you know, we can be hopeful that we have a good team and we qualify. Um, who, who are some of your favorite players, Mike, that have played for Canada, both from a, a media side and then also as a proud Canadian, you know, who, who do you, who have you kind of enjoyed the most that that's played for Canada? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, Steve Nash is kind of everybody's right. Like, it's sort of like you can't not mention him. But, right. but I think there's there's guys of that era that probably don't get enough credibility. I mean, Mike Meeks right. um, kind of gets overlooked. I think he, if you look at that tournament in 2000, he was he was the stretch five before anyone knew what that was called. Right? I think he shot over something 40 or 50 percent from three, just pick and pop game with Steve. Right. Uh, he held the all time record. Um, for Canadians in the NCAA and scoring until Juan Mendez broke that. But, you know, it was just a prolific career and a wonderful, wonderful guy and very involved now with the the development side. Yeah, you still give him back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think he's he's a really neat neat story. Um, Eli Pasquale was always kind of like this mythical guy. You know, it's so funny because when Eli was at his best and so sad when he passed away. Right. I only got ever got to meet him, I think, one time, and that's when he tried to make a comeback. I guess in I want to say it might have been ninety six, ninety five, and um, maybe it was the world team in ninety eight. He tried to make a comeback and broke his ankle, I think. Okay, and I, I remember doing a story on him then. But growing up, he was sort of like this guy who was him and Jay Trano, right? Like they were the program, right? And um, but I'd never really got a chance to see him play a little bit on TV, but my, my uh, roommate at school was the athletic therapist. He was like a volunteer athletic therapist on the, uh, on the 88 team. Um, and, uh, and I got to go and watch them train and, you know, going to a couple of their practices at Ryerson downtown and got to see Eli up close, you know, and he was awesome. <laughs> he was like, I, it was incredible. 
Right. And and so he's always a guy. And then of the more modern guys, you know, like I feel like they don't even need my publicity. I mean, Car- my publicity, my, you know, but Carl English, yeah. just one of the great humans, you know, great competitors, great story, great person, incredible story. Right. Um, you, know, you just, you just, you know, shoot you into a game, shoot you out of a game. <laughs> you know, you just love him. Yeah. Um, and Lee Kendall was, uh, was a guy too. Yeah. Um, just always a great person to deal with. You know, I think a lot of people thought he could have made the NBA in a whole different set of circumstances. And then, uh, you know, Corey Joseph is interesting. You know, I knew them when they were kids and, uh, just watching them grow. And I think be real trailblazers for this next generation of guys who kind of did it a different way, right? Left home, went to school in the States and did D1 and all that. I mean, I think they're, they're kind of like the, the, the the guys who led the way, but um, a lot of, a lot of great players, incredible number of players. Just amazing. So can we wrap that up with a, a Mike Grange top five for Canada basketball? (laughs) Yeah. I was worried you'd ask me this. Um, uh, I'll go with Mike Meeks. Uh, as my five nice. and apologies to Tristan apologies to, uh, to Bill Wennington um, <laughs> apologies to uh, a lot of great players. Um, right. uh, I guess I gotta go with Nash as my point guard. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I mean, I, I, I couldn't should say like Rowan Barrett or I, I, listen to this. I'm going to say Jay Triano as my two guard. I'm down with that. That's only because of years of service and, right. and like people look back at what he, how good he was. People, you know, kind of don't quite always grasp it. Um, but that doesn't mean he's the best all time. Like, I mean, Shay is, you know, Shay is going to, you know, Jamal is going to be there. Right. So I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just trying to give a little love to some of the older dudes. Oh, I got, I got three now. Yeah. Um, this is your five. So the fact you yeah. talk, you put Jay in it and maybe the younger guys are going to go bigger than that, but it's your five. So I like yeah, that. And uh, I'll go with Kelly as my four. Okay. And what do I need? A three guard? A three? Can be anything. I guess I can slide Rowan Barrett in there. Sure. Can I go, who else would I have? I think. Can I play Jamal Murray up at three? Can I do that? Absolutely. Yeah. He would be okay there yeah. on that team. And anyway. You know what? I'm going to give it to Tom. I'm going to give it to Phil Scrub. He's right. going to, you know, okay. and I, and I say that again, not like, right. All it these speaks, guys are, it speaks you know, for itself. They're all great players. Yeah. But, but I mean, Phil and, uh, you know, he, that team that, um, you know, got Canada through the qualifying, uh, you know, was traveling all over the world, uh, to set Canada up in order to, 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 to advance. Um, you know, I remember talking to, to Kelly and Dwight Powell and, and Corey about, you know, that team Roy Rana was coaching right? and how grateful they were, right? you know, right. for, for what those guys were giving up because they, the NBA's couldn't get released with those windows. And so, you know, I think you had Phil Scrub flying like 20 hours to get to Toronto and then getting on a plane and flying another 15 hours to go to Chile or whatever the it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then turning around and doing it all the way to go home and work. Right. And um, you know, so I'll, I'll take Phil as a as a as a flag bearer for all the guys who you know maybe get overlooked a little bit in the NBA because you know the NBA is obviously for good reason gets a lot of 
uh, credit and coverage. But uh, there's a lot of great players below that level, and and Phil's probably the best CIS player ever, right? Like, I mean, like yeah, he could be. He can ball. He's doing. He's making a good money. Good money in Europe. It's not like he can't play either. So right. Um, but uh, there we go. So a little different flavor there for you. That's a great five. It seems like. Uh, and Leo comes off the bench. There you go. He'd ask. He'd, he'd, he'd fire. He'd, he'd cause a lot of problems. I, I bring Leo off the bench just to bitch. Well, uh, that's no. Your five and your six men is good, Mike. I I, I like that. And uh, it seems like everyone's five is so different. I mean, Nash, Steve's kind of a you know a mainstay or whatever. Um, it's hard though. I mean, I mean, Roland Barrett had one of the he had as good a career as anyone's had over there in Europe. Right. Uh, wow, you know, Kyle Wilcher's tearing it up. I mean, Kevin Bangles, like, there's a lot. It's Kevin Melvin Edgem. Uh, I could have used him instead of Phil, Phil Scrub. Beast, yeah. You know, so a lot of good players. Uh, really quickly, this is more kind of a personal thing for me. I know you have a relationship with Steve and uh, co authored a book. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of my basketball legend hero guy, man. I mean, he's, um, you know, I saw him play for the national team in Vancouver in an exhibition game prior to the Sydney Olympics. And that was, you know, for me, yeah, the NBA was cool. And, um, you know, it was really starting to catch on in Canada, but to get to see the national team, you know, at at Nike nationals there in that moment, um, you know, how is he just, he's pretty much as advertised, correct. And just in terms of the person, the person and the man he is. He's, uh, you know, just, just, very gracious, very accommodating, right? Very down to earth, very chill. Yeah. <laughs> you know all those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, and you know, and then the light goes on, and he's a maniac, right? And uh, I think, I think it's um, he's he's an amazing story, right? Like that, so many of the Canadian guys are amazing stories, right? Because we all had to come go along these different paths, um, and, and it's going to be really, really interesting to see him in Brooklyn this year. He's bitten off. A yeah, lot. yeah. So we'll see. No, that's cool. Uh, before I get you out of here, can we do a quick uh, Canada Hoops version of Three Point Grange? Absolutely, sure. Okay. If another Canadian was to be the NBA MVP, who would that be, Mike? I would have said it was going to be Shea, um, but when I saw the way Jamal Murray played in the um, in the bubble. Uh, that was eye-opening. And and I'm not saying I didn't ever think he was a great player. Of course, I thought he was a great player. I think he's probably the best Canadian player already right. before any of that happened. But the level he played at, um, there's very, very few people who've ever played at that level. And um, if he can spread that out over you know, 60, 70 games and he can do that consistently three or four years, it's a big F. I mean, he's going to be, you know, he's going to lead the league in scoring. He's going to be a guy that, will potentially have a chance to be an MVP. Great answer. Who do you think is the most underrated Canadian basketball player? In the NBA? Ever. NBA, just across the board. Doesn't get enough love. I mean, I might have said Michael Meeks, right? I, I, I think I, I think he's, like I said, just incredible NCAA career, incredible pro career, incredible international career. Um, and I'd say of the Current guys, I think maybe Dwight Powell. Right. Um, you know, just 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 a monster. I mean, right. uh, it's a real shame the injury he's trying to come back from, but he had carved him. He had made himself an 
absolutely elite, elite, elite role player. Right. And, um, you know, and kind of gets overlooked because that's what, because he's a role player, but man, uh, what a monster. Yeah, I agreed. Uh, what is the best basketball town or community in Canada that people don't know about? <laughs> wow. That's a great question. Um, like everyone knows about the GTA in certain regions there, but yeah, maybe a little town or a community that is uh, all about the hoops that people don't know about or don't it doesn't get enough love. I mean, I might give a shout out to Halifax, I guess. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, I don't yeah. know if people don't know about it, but uh, it's you slept know, on. It's slept on. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. was. Um, you know, you got, you got a great concentration of universities there, and then the, then just within Halifax, and then in Nova Scotia generally, you've got Saint Avax, UCGB, Acadia, um, and so, and then they've always had this tradition there of you know, of, like I say, Steve Kinchowski came up there from from New York City, and um, right. still there, right, year forty six. So I think I think there's a real tradition of elite basketball there. They really support college basketball there. Uh, they've turned out some pretty good D one players the last couple of years. Right. Um, they've, you know, they've had some pro teams there off and on. So I'll go with Halifax. I like it. Uh, well, Mike, I'll get you out of here, man. I appreciate you coming on and, um, you know, we appreciate what you've done for the Canadian basketball community. You know, you've been an important part of bringing players into the spotlight. There's lots of guys that, you know, need a little bit of love and, um, their story, their stories got to get shared. So you've done that for a lot of guys. So we appreciate that, man. Appreciate it. And you know what? I'm, I am going to say this, and I'm not trying to be correct or anything like that. We I, I, Next time we're on, we're going to try and talk about some women's poops <laughs> because I could have put Kia Nurse on that team. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, I, uh, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. And our women's players, our women's program, yeah. the talent right now we're, we're kind of generating – is all is is second to none well maybe i guess the u.s but but our in a way we're all guilty of it right we all want to see our men's program get to the heights it's been or maybe deliver on the potential it has our women's team is doing it and uh you know i'm not i'm not saying that like like i'm as bad as anybody i kind of gravitate one way or the other but it's a story we can't ignore it's there is some talent there unbelievable yeah i actually um, I got that on my radar and I've sent some messages out and that's important to me. Um, I had, uh, Bryn Maskovich on my third episode. Um, she's playing at UCLA and, uh, I played men's league with her dad. So it's kind of a personal thing. And her and I talked, her and I talked about that in terms of, you know, what the women's program is doing and the level that's at and the commitment and the buy-in from them. And oh, it's amazing. so it's, uh, that'll warm your heart, man. It's, absolutely. Uh, it's good stuff. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Mike, man. You'll always be a friend of Canada Hoops. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Good job. All right. Take care. See you, bud. Bye. Well, that does it for another episode of Canada Hoops. I want to thank Michael Grange for coming through. I want to thank you for listening. We appreciate the support. Until next time, I'm your boy, Matty. Thank you for listening to Canada Hoops.